Our scripture reading this evening is found in 1 Peter chapter 2. I've been doing a series of sermons on 1 Peter in peace. The first sermon I thought uh, that I preached last week encapsulates the theme of 1 Peter. And then this sermon is the last text that I preached at peace. We'll read the second chapter. Our text is found in verses 18 through 20. Uh, 18 through 20. 1 Peter chapter 2. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a cornerstone, a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God, Honor all men, 
love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward, for this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully, for what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed." For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. That far we read in God's holy inspired word. May he bless that word to our hearts. The text that we consider this evening is verses 18 through 20. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it, if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable. With God. Beloved congregation and our Lord Jesus Christ, if a video camera followed you around at work all day, would you? be seen in that video to be an exemplary worker? And I can ask myself the same question. This word that we consider is a word especially directed to those who work for others. But before we go into the text, we need to see some of the background. We, the inspired apostle, has declared in the previous chapter, we are strangers and pilgrims in this world. God, by his grace, elected us in eternity. He regenerated us by his spirit. We who have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, that precious blood that was poured out on the cross, we are now 
God's people, we are strangers and pilgrims who live with as those who have a heavenly hope, who have the hope of glory. Are we living as strangers and pilgrims? The chapter that we read gives us other titles by which we are identified. Verse 9 of chapter 2 says, Ye are a chosen generation. What a privilege that God has chosen us in Jesus Christ. Ye are a royal priesthood. God has made us kings and priests to serve him. We are a holy nation. We are a peculiar people. Why did God make us that? Why did God choose us? Why did he make us a royal priesthood? And verse 9 answers that, that we might show forth the praises of him who hath called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's the thankful life of believers. You and I who have been redeemed in Jesus Christ want to show forth the praises of our God. We ought to take everything that is said then in that context. We are redeemed and we want to show forth our thankfulness in praise to God. So chapter 2, after expressing our purpose for being in this world, calls us to have an honest conversation, that is, to have a good conduct in the sight of the Gentiles, to have a good conduct before unbelievers. God calls us to abstain from fleshly lusts, that war against the soul. And then the inspired apostle goes through specifics. Have that good conduct. And then he speaks in the first place of submitting ourselves to every ordinance of man. Submitting ourselves to the governing authorities that God places over us. So that God would be glorified. And then he gives another specific in our text when he says, here's the way our life of pilgrims ought to manifest itself when he calls us as servants to be subject. Servants, be subject to your masters. How? Be subject with all fear. Why? Because this is pleasing to God, and brings glory to God. So I want to consider the text under that theme. Servants, be subject to your masters. Note in the first place the meaning of that. Secondly, the manner with all fear. And lastly, the reason for this is acceptable to God. We ought to understand when we hear the exhortation of the text, that this applies to us today. The servant-master relationship, 
was the common relationship in the workplace in that day. In the New Testament times, there were those who were servants who had been purchased. There were those who were servants who were made slaves after being conquered. But there were also servants in households who associated themselves willingly with a master in order to obtain food and shelter for themselves. There are all kinds of different servants. But the point is, this was the common workplace relationship in that day. And the inspired apostle is addressing that relationship. And now that would apply to many, if not, well, certainly many of us in the congregation, if not most of us, have experienced that relationship. It applies to the salesman that works for a distributor. It applies to the engineer that works for a firm. It applies to teachers who work for the school. It would apply also to contractors who sign a contract and therefore by that contract make themselves, in a sense, the servant of those for whom they are doing a work. And this also applies even to pastors who work for a congregation. I recognize there's far more to being a pastor than just having a job, but there is a certain application also in the text for myself. God addresses the master and the servant relationship. And the problem is not that there is such a relationship. The problem is not that there are employers and that there are employees. The problem is not, as the Marxist ideology would say, the problem, the Marxist says, the problem is that we have a capitalist class and we have a working class, and that's why we have tension in the world. But that's not the problem. The problem is far deeper than that. The problem is in your heart and in my heart. The problem is that we all have the old man of sin. That's the problem. That's why we need this exhortation, even as God's people. That old man of sin that we have inherited from Adam that manifests all kinds of fleshly lusts. Fleshly lusts. Wrong desires that proceed from the old man are what make it difficult to submit to employers. Fleshly lusts make employers hard to submit to. There are employers who care nothing about their workers, who only want to give the lowest wage to squeeze out the greatest amount of work and have no care at all for the health 
and family life of their workers who treat their workers like dirt. That makes it hard to submit when you have such an employer. But the other side of the coin is the employee, the servant in the text. And that employee also has the old man of sin who wants to do the least amount of work for the greatest pay, who cares nothing about the employer who he works for, who cares nothing about the company for which he works, doesn't care about the prosperity of his company and who treats his company like dirt. We all have the old man of sin. So in the relationship, in the workplace, we all have the old man that shows to us by that fact that we need Jesus Christ. We need the forgiveness for the sins we have committed in the workplace, whether as employers or employees, and we need the grace of the Spirit of Christ to work in us so that even in the most difficult circumstances, we can give honor and glory to our God. So God says to us, as his people, as his dear children, he says, servants, be subject to your masters. And the general idea of that, to be subject, the general idea is obedience. Just thinking about the word subject, if we inject we are intentionally putting, putting something in. We inject. Well, if we subject, we are intentionally putting something under. And that is ourselves. To be subject is to willingly, intentionally put ourselves under the authority of our masters, of our employers. And that means doing those things that we know will please them. If the employer says, I want you here at this time of day, then as the employee, we would seek to be there on time. That would be subject, being subject. If the employer says, I want this job done by a certain time, this is the deadline, then we do our best. Within the constraints that we are given, we are do our best to please our employer. That means giving our employer an honest day's work not spending our time while on the job using social media or spending idle time in the coffee room 
because we know that's not the will of our employer. That's not being subject to what pleases them. Doing that which we have been tasked to do. Not neglecting our responsibilities. Not speaking evilly of our employer when they are gone. God's word to us is be subject. Beloved, this is the principle and this is the reason why we as churches condemn membership in labor unions. Exactly this principle that God calls us to be subject to our employers. Now I suppose we could conceive of a good union, we could conceive of a union which required and encouraged all its members to submit themselves to the company submit themselves to management, and in no place, in no case, would that union say to its workers, disobey the management, unless the management came down and said, you must disobey God. Then that union would say, we cannot do what you ask us to do. But beloved, that's not the union. That's not the way unions are in this country. Generally speaking, unions exist not to encourage its workers to submit to the management. Unions exist in order for the workers to force the management to submit to them. Exactly opposite to the words of our text. And whether one worker refuses to subject himself to the management or whether all the workers refuse to be subject to the management and go on strike, they are disobeying the word of God in the text. Servants, be subject to your masters. That's the idea of the text. How should you and I be subject to those over us? But when the text calls us to be subject, it uses that qualifying phrase, with all fear. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. But children, that's not talking about the fear of consequences. It's not saying, be subject to your employer because you're afraid of the consequences, because you're afraid of being fired, that's not the idea of the text. But rather the idea is this, be subject with the fear of respect. It's the kind of fear that is spoken of in Romans chapter 13 verse 7. There we find a general principle. Render, therefore, to all their dues. Tribute to whom tribute is due. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. 
Honor to whom honor. It's calling us to have a certain respect to those who hold authority over us. But especially, we don't exclude this, it's included in that we owe fear and respect to God himself who providentially put that employer over us, who providentially brought us into that workplace, be subject with all fear. Not just a little fear, not just a little respect, not just with an outward respect that people can see, Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 has a passage that also speaks to servants. It says, servants, obey your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers. That is, don't just do it, don't just show respect when they are watching you. When the boss shows up at work, then you start working because you want him to see and be pleased with what you're doing. But when he leaves, as soon as he walks off the job, then you become lazy. Well, that's someone who does it with eye service when the eyes of the boss are on us. That's not the kind of respect That's not the kind of fear that God calls us to show. Rather, we ought to have an inward respect. Submit with all fear. Have a respect for those over us. And now I can apply that to myself, the elders in the church, but that applies in many other circumstances. Have an honest respect towards those who are over you. Even when they are not watching. Even when they will not find out that you didn't do exactly as they called you to do. And ultimately... Again, with all fear and respect towards God. Because God sees us at all times. We can get away with all kinds of things in the workplace. And our boss might not find out, but God knows. And he will chastise those whom he loves. Be subject with all fear and reverence to those who are our masters. That ought to be at the forefront, especially the the respect and honor that we owe to God. That ought to be at the forefront of our minds. But that's not possible, beloved, in ourselves 
It's impossible according to the old man. Our old man never will have that proper fear and respect to the employer, much less to God himself. We need the grace of God. As pilgrims and strangers, we who have been redeemed, we need God to give us grace. Because the fact of the matter is, it is even difficult to have a proper subjection to those who are good and gentle. Take the good and gentle boss, the one who is good to work for. And our old man wants to take advantage of that. He won't care. He won't say anything. Our old man is tempted and will seek to take advantage of the good and gentle boss. But it's especially difficult to be subject to the boss who is harsh. The boss who is demanding. We can make excuses when we think to ourselves, this boss doesn't care a whit about me. Why should I care for him? Why should I care for the company? When they don't care about me, they're simply using me. Well, the text addresses both possibilities. And we need to hear that exhortation to be subject not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. Be subject also to the boss who is crooked. That's the literal idea of that word, froward. The boss who is crooked, who is perverse, who is harsh. Submit. As long as you are under his authority. That doesn't mean that we have to stay in a particular job. We are free in these days to move from job to job. But as long as we are under the authority of a particular employer, God says submit with reverence with a respectful fear. Do we do that? Do we have the proper respect in our hearts, even towards the froward boss? When we fall short, and we all do, beloved, When we fail to be subject to those in authority over us, then we look again to Jesus Christ. Because he was subject. He was subject to his parents, Luke tells us. No doubt he was subject to his father in the 
wood shop in the carpenter shop where he worked as a young person. But especially he was subject to his God, to the Father. He was subject his whole life. He was absolutely and perfectly righteous in everything he did. And in that righteousness, he gave the perfect sacrifice, went all the way to the cross and poured out his blood for us to cover over our sins. When we fail, we don't and we ought not become dejected, but we ought to repent and go to the cross and know that our Savior died also for these sins and all our other sins. He paid for them all. So we go to Christ for forgiveness. But we also go to him for his spirit, that he would give us grace so that we would be subject to our masters with all fear. That's something we cannot do in our own strength. We need the grace of God. And so we ought to pray for that. Pray for the grace of forgiveness. Pray for the grace of sanctification. That God would work in us so that we would be subject to our employers. Why does God call us to that? Why does he call us to be in submission with all fear? And the reason is that you and I live before the face of God. That's what the text means. We are not called to submit in all of these circumstances because it will be to our benefit, although it very well may be. What does the text say? Be subject to your masters with all fear. And it gives the reason for conscience toward God. That's verse 19. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God. We live before the face of God. It's God's will. That ought to be the reason that we submit to those whom God has placed over us. That ought to be the main reason that we submit to those who are over us in the workplace. What would God have me do? What is my duty before God? What does he require of me in this particular circumstance? And that's what I want to do. For conscience toward God. 
Beloved, when we have that perspective, that per puts our subjection in a proper perspective. When God's will is our concern, then we face a difficult circumstance and we say to ourselves, maybe the boss doesn't deserve any respect whatsoever, but we say to ourselves, but what would God have me do? What does he call me to do at this very time? For conscience toward God, and God wants me to submit as long as my conscience before God allows me to. When we do that, when by God's grace we do submit even to the froward boss, this is beautiful in God's sight. Especially it is beautiful in God's sight when someone, for conscience sake, willingly endures grief and suffering When he has done the right thing, this is beautiful to God. That's what the text means in verse 19. Verse 19 says, for this is thankworthy. This is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. And that word thankworthy literally is the word grace. This is grace. And now the most basic idea of the word grace is beauty. This is beautiful in God's sight. That very same word is also translated differently at the end of verse 20. It says, when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. This is grace with God. This is, and the idea is, this is beautiful to God according to his standards. God sees it as beautiful. It's not beautiful to God if we refuse to be subject because of our wrong attitudes towards our employers. That's the point of verse 20. This is not beautiful. That's the contrast in verse 20 when the apostle says, for what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults ye shall take it patiently Literally, what credit is it? And the contrast is with the last part of the verse. The contrast is what is not acceptable and what is acceptable with God. What glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently. But if when ye do well, 
and suffer for it. You take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. There's nothing pleasing in it if somebody is lazy at work and gets fired because of that laziness. That's not pleasing to God. That's not beautiful in the sight of God. But God is pleased when you and I subject ourselves to those over us, especially when it means we suffer grief and suffer, uh, endure grief and suffer wrongfully. And now we might ask ourselves the question, why, how can God be pleased with that activity of ours? How can God be pleased when we subject ourselves to our employers? Is it because that work is a perfect work and God sees that work as perfect? Not at all. Even our best works, beloved, are stained with sin. All our righteousness, Isaiah says, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. So what is it? How is it that God can be pleased with a work that no doubt is stained with sin? And the answer is, in Jesus Christ, God is pleased in the first place because that sin that is mixed with every activity of ours, he forgives that for Christ's sake. And then that good work that is the result of Christ's work in us, that is the result of the Spirit's work, God is pleased with his work. He sees the result of the Spirit's work and he is pleased. He finds it acceptable. That's beautiful to God. But then it's also beautiful to God when he receives the glory. Maybe we don't experience that so much. The time may come, beloved, in our day yet when we are persecuted by employers for our faith. When they may make things very difficult for us because we are believers. But who knows how God will use that when an employer mistreats us, when an employer fires his best worker because we refuse to work on the Lord's Day or we refuse to sign a form that says all forms of sexual relations are perfectly fine and marriage can be between a man and a man if we refuse to sign some sort of form, we may very well be persecuted for that. But God is pleased, and I say, who can tell how God will use that witness to bring glory to himself 
Who can tell whether God might use that very circumstance that another might see that witness and say, how can you hold to that religion when it causes you such suffering and God may give an opportunity for us to give an answer for the hope that is within us. And God may use that very thing to save one of his elect. What does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Let your light, Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. It's acceptable to God, the text says. It's especially acceptable to God when he receives all the glory. I do this, says the servant or the employee. I do this because I live before the face of God who saved me graciously. That's why I do this, out of thankfulness to him. May God be pleased to give us the grace that we would live as strangers and pilgrims and that as strangers and pilgrims we would be faithful witnesses in all of our lives, but especially as regards the text in the workplace. May he receive the glory. Amen. Our Father, which art in heaven, we confess that we are but weak creatures of the dust, that we all fail, we confess, that we all fail to submit to those authorities thou hast placed over us with a proper respectful fear. We all fall short. So forgive us and lead us by thy spirit. Give to us grace that we may be subject to those over us. Give to us grace so that we might praise thy name. We ask this with the forgiveness of our sins in Jesus' name. Amen.